Hello, everybody. Welcome back again to the Taming Shrew podcast. This time we're bringing you to our third in our series of three cases we're sort of following up here. Um, again, joined here by Dr. Ryan LaFollette, who's working through these with us. Um, this time we're moving on to a 59-year-old female with a chief complaint of headache. Um, nursing note basically says, come into the emergency department with a complaint of headache, ambulated to bed without assistance, and awaiting your evaluation. Her vital signs had a temperature of 99.4, heart rate 87, uh, blood pressure 145 over 89, respiratory rate of 13, and oxygen saturation of 99% on room air. You get your HPI and um, comes across as this. So 54-year-old, she's got a history of hypertension, and is coming in with a headache. It's been going on for about the past three days, no, mostly located on the right side of her forehead. It's constant. She feels kind of dizzy with it. Uh, she's been trying to deal with it at home taken some ibuprofen but really nothing has made it go away completely she states the day it started she was like coming back from a chiropractor um, and uh, had been having sort of ongoing neck and back pain for some time Um, and she was also worried because she knew her her neighbor had some carbon monoxide poisoning last winter and she was having a headache and so she was concerned that maybe she could have that Um, a little bit of a dry cough for the past week but otherwise feeling fine uh, so, uh, Ryan, there's obviously a lot of threads of interest in that HPI. Where would you uh, pick up with things next? Sure. I mean, um, I think the most important part of any headache history is indeed the history. So what are the headaches? Is this patient that has daily headache, weekly headache, monthly headache, or if they at least had a headache of the same character before? And what is the association with those headaches? How long do they last? Um, certainly characteristics of the headache such as unilaterality, association with trauma, um, are, are kind of crucial historical factors as well. And then hemodynamics, is it associated with significant hypertension? I mean, you, we, I am always hesitant to create a causative relationship there. However, um, in the association with a neurologic examination, I think it, it can certainly uh, help you rule out some significant intracranial pathology. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, as far as associated symptoms and quality and character of the headache, I, I definitely also try to assess what is this headache in terms of how different it is the, compared to previous headaches. Does it feel differently? Is it just more severe? Is the location similar to previous? Also looking for photophobia, sonophobia, presence of auras, which would maybe pretend a more migrainous cause. Have they ever been diagnosed with migraines in the past is good, too. Um, in the HPI, I mentioned that she had uh, had, start, had this started after she went to a chiropractor. What does that kind of uh, what does that spark your interest about? It's a dissection until proven otherwise. Yeah, right. I mean, pretty much. You know, any cervical manipulation, you should think about the possibility of cervical dissection uh, 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 causing uh, the patient's uh, complaints. But she has some dizziness with it. You know, really need to unpack what that dizziness means. Is it true vertigo? Is it just lightheadedness? Um, does she have any neurologic signs or symptoms apart from this uh, dizziness that would go along with it um, you know the you, know, you certainly could have uh, you know, a pretty pretty uh, profound stroke uh, of sim- syndrome uh, with uh, with dissection so um, and then what about this carbon monoxide poisoning what do you think about that 
Um, I think it is less likely given the chronicity and consistency of the headache. Um, I do think it is something that, especially if the patient is concerned about, is easily um, ruled out by a laboratory test. Um, so I think it is worth considering, although less suspicious in this clinical context. Yeah, I mean, you can you can answer this question pretty readily two ways. One, just getting into the lab and seeing on coax symmetry, does she have carbon monoxide uh, uh, or carboxyhemoglobin? Um, or uh, you can simply ask more questions. You know, does she have anything that would actually put her at risk for carbon monoxide poisoning. Do you run in propane heaters inside? Uh, has your heat gone out? Uh, you have gas stoves, et cetera, et cetera. Like, what would be a risk factor for actually getting it? Um, and if there's no risk factors there, then it becomes, you know, infinitesimally small likelihood that it's actually going on. Um, all right, so she didn't have any history of trauma. Um, she wasn't really sudden in onset. She says this pain is a little bit worse at night before she goes to bed. Um, she's had headaches uh, before, but said they never really lasted as long as this or felt exactly like this. Um, she says she doesn't have any photophobia and hasn't had any change in her vision. A little bit of nausea, but no real emesis. Um, hasn't wanted to eat a whole lot, uh, but really no other uh, significant appetite changes. Felt hot at home, but hasn't taken her temperature um, again, has tried Motrin without really re- any significant relief. No numbness, tingling, weakness, focal weakness, pain anywhere else. No difficulty speaking. Um, she uses central heating uh, that's electric, actually. Um, and no one in the house has uh, no one else in the house has similar headaches. Hasn't traveled recently. And your review of systems, otherwise, is completely unremarkable. So you move on to physical exam. Uh, you know she's well appearing, non toxic appearing, sitting in bed. Um, when you press on the right side of her forehead, she says, ah, that's right where my headache is. Um, on your uh, rest of your H-E-N-T exam, pupils are equal around reactive. Uh, your conjunctiva are normal. Extractive movements are normal. Um, the uh, TMs are normal. Everything else is fine. I think that's another good consideration oftentimes with these headaches. You know, is this you know really a primary type headache or is this referred pain from somewhere else? Does the patient actually have odontalgia that's presenting as headache or do they have you know sinus disease that's presenting as headache or do they have some sort of uh, uh, otologic process that's presenting as headache? Um, is, a, is something you need to, to take consideration of. Um, your neck exam, uh, no midline tenderness, no trapezius tenderness, full range of motion. Cranial nerves are normal. Uh, strength sensation normal your whole neurologic exam is spot on normal Uh, so what are you thinking now what else would you want to do on physical exam if anything what diagnostic uh, testing would you do on this patient yeah, I mean, the, your neurologic examination being normal is, is certainly reassuring. Um, and given the focality of the headache, you can certainly have hyperesthesia on the, you know, migranous side of the headache, but that this appears different in that it is focal. And we're closing in in that the patient is uh, female over the age of 50, in which case, you know, demographically, you're also looking at concern for uh, giant cell arteritis. Yeah, absolutely. That would be, that would be a consideration as well. You know, interesting, like, so... On this patient, would you would you do a CT head on them? I would consider it, um, although I think your laboratory tests will be more um, sensitive for this finding. So I, I'd probably wait and do labs before imaging. Got it. In your just generally speaking, in your patients that present with headaches, what are the things that tip you over the edge to to doing a CT head? Yeah, so I think that's mostly historical. Um, if it is a really a different headache, if it is maximal in onset, 
um, or if there's just something about that patient that is saying more subarachnoid hemorrhage and or mass lesion, you know, worse in the middle of the night, um, or they're giving you more of an altered uh, presentation than just a headache. Um, so it's kind of the headache plus. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, alteration mental status for sure. You know, I think uh, you need to consider, um, uh, masses as, as, as something to, to look for as well. Obviously MRI is more sensitive for that than a non-con CT of the head. Uh, but with a patient who has, you know, a sort of a lingering subacute headache with worsened in the morning, better throughout the day, you know, positional potential changes, you know, that's a person where you might consider uh, a CT of the head uh, to look for mass lesion as a screening test, uh, a roughshod one, if, if nothing else, but uh, but a consideration for sure. And then obviously those that you're concerned about, subarachnoid hemorrhage, or those that have any neurologic uh, findings uh, would be uh, would be another one. Um, okay, so uh, what what labs would you would you order on this patient? Um, so I think your largest, most sensitive test is going to be uh, an ESR uh, kind of screening for uh, temporal arteritis. Honestly, that would probably be the, the one and only test that I would get uh, from a laboratory perspective. Yeah, I, I think that you know ESR is definitely. Uh, uh, definitely going to be in, in your consideration there um, if you're concerned about temporal arteritis. You know, the, um, the diagnostic evaluation for that is actually, it can be a little bit uh, challenging. Um, uh, according to the American College of Rheumatology, you need three diagnostic criteria to, to really diagnose giant cell arteritis. Um, and uh, one of them is a temporal artery biopsy, but you don't have to actually have an abnormal temporal artery biopsy to diagnose the condition. Um, and then you also uh, don't have to have that uh, temporal artery biopsy to, to start the patient on uh, glucocorticoids. Uh, so the diagnostic criteria that they outline is a patient older than the age of 50, a new onset headache, which are obviously very broad uh, criteria. Uh, but then you get to temporal artery abnormality, which means temp- uh, tenderness to palpation, decreased pulsation, uh, that would be unrelated to atherosclerosis of the cervical arteries, um, as well as then the next diagnostic criteria being an elevated ESR greater than 50, uh, and uh, temporal artery biopsy uh, abnormality as being the final diagnostic criteria. So if you get greater to or equal than three of those criteria, then you can diagnose giant cell arteritis. And the sensitivity and specificity are okay for this. Um, and somebody who you have a high clinical concern and they have only maybe a couple of these and starting glucocorticoids early is probably better um, because you know, what, what's your what's your biggest concern when you're talking about giant cell arteritis? I mean, uh, asking for visual symptoms and really visual loss. Yeah, absolutely. So like loss of vision, because this can tend to affect the ophthalmic arteries uh, more preferentially. Um, interestingly, like, you know, I, I had not necessarily considered it in the past. Reading up on some of this giant cell arteritis, you know, these patients can have, you know, large vessel involvement as well as the medium uh, vessels. Uh, and, you know, these are patients who also tend to, to have some abnormalities on CT angiography. You know, it, uh, this would be potentially a, a patient that, um, with uh, uh, an abnormal ESR, like yes, I probably would be starting them up on uh, glucocorticoids, but 
performing a, a, a CTA of the head and neck to evaluate for uh, any uh, occlusive changes or signs of uh, uh, signs of um, uh, vasculopathy uh, would uh, would be a consideration that I would have now looking through this. It'd be a little bit easier way of finding things that's supposed to because you know your temporary biopsy is going to be some time coming. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's it all depends on your clinical syndrome. If the patient's symptoms are under control, if you can arrange urgent outpatient evaluation uh, with ENT or whoever does temporal artery biopsies at your institution, and there's no visual changes, I think that patient population, from my experience, has done relatively well um, with symptom control with glucocorticoids um, at home. Obviously, if there's any visual changes, you may need to move more rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly within our institution, vascular surgery is typically the ones that do these temporal artery biopsies. So this is a patient who, you know, when I've seen these patients and had a high clinical concern for uh, giant cell arteritis, I've, I've talked to uh, rheumatology to arrange follow-up uh, with them, um, and they've been very amenable to those conversations. And also uh, uh, talked to vascular surgery to arrange sort of an outpatient uh, evaluation and outpatient uh, temporal artery biopsy. In the meantime, if you are, like I said, if if you're concerned about it, and if the patient has labs that uh, are indicative of it, then you're probably going to be going down the route of starting them on high-dose glucocorticoids. Uh, and for this particular patient, you, know, you do some lab testing. Uh, CBC would show just a white count of 12. BMP would be normal. And your ESR, which you wanted, uh, is 105, which is clearly abnormal. So um, looks like likely giant cell arteritis in this particular patient um what uh so what what do you start them up on in terms of steroids we said high dose glucocorticoids but what does that what does that mean depends how uh <laughs> depends how big your patient is <laughs> it's uh, so they're relatively large doses if i recall it's like one milligram per kilogram yeah, up to up to sixty milligrams, uh, sixty milligrams PO daily, essentially, was uh, is, is what is uh, what is recommended as an initial starting dose, and then they just continue that on until they're seen by uh, rheumatology, and then they can step down or adjust the adjust the treatment from there. All right, folks, thanks for joining us on this uh, three case journey. If you haven't listened to the other cases, I highly recommend you go back and listen to them. Some high yield learning points, I think, are are hidden within there. Uh, special thanks to. Uh, Dr. Kevin Randolph for helping uh, write these cases initially for our uh, monthly III. Um, and uh, thanks to the residents that participated in the asynchronous conversations. Uh, it was a good month talking with everybody. Hope you learn a little bit and hope everybody out there learned a little bit. We'll see you next time.